It's the Darius Show. You already know. Drop your booty to the floor. Come get me some more. It's the Darius Show. Hello, world. Welcome back. This is the Darius Show. If you're new here, the Darius Show is where I watch movies and TV shows and give you my unsolicited, unprofessional opinions about them. Today, we're going to be going through our part two discussion of The Squid Game, the new show on Netflix that you've most definitely heard about. Uh, recently, you can go back and listen to my first episode where I gave my thoughts and opinions uh, on the first episode of Squid Game. I did a full discussion and breakdown of that episode, and I also did predictions on where I think the season is going. Today, we're doing our uh, middle middle of the run show breakdown and discussion. This is going to be covering episodes two through five, so that is your spoiler warning. That being said, I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this, you've already watched the show because let's be honest. Who hasn't? Again, if this is your first time listening, I would like to extend a hearty thank you for giving this a shot, and I encourage you to give me any feedback you can after you're done listening to the show. Anything helps. <laughs> so yeah, strap in. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it, and thank you again. All right, jumping right into episode two here. Uh, I will say this episode has a premise that I found to be very surprising. I know we're only in episode two here, but I did not expect the show to go this route with the vote that we get into. Uh, but the episode opens up to basically all the participants in the game. They're, they're voicing their opinions. They're basically a mob speaking at the conductors of the game, the ones who wear the red jumpsuits. And they're, you know, basically begging to be out of this. This is what they signed up for, even though it literally is what they signed up for. Uh, this is interesting. We This is when we start to get a big light on one of our main characters here, uh, who at this point is just referred to as number 218. This character does have a previous history with our main character, 456. Uh, they clearly know each other from the outside world. I'm pretty sure there's even a dialogue here that says that they played together in preschool. So they've known each other for a very long time. This character is an interesting one because he finds himself in this position like everyone else does. Um, everyone else here kind of seems to be like they're losers or life has screwed them over in some way or another. Or they've gambled them their ways here. They've lost all their money in a sense. Uh, this guy is someone who went to a great college. He's always excelled in school and his classes and everything. And he's clearly very intelligent. That gets displayed time and time again throughout these challenges. But here he is in the same situation as everyone else. Uh, but the difference between him and everyone else is he's done his homework. He has clearly read the fine print on what he signed up for here. He is the one who brings up to the game conductors that if they all take a vote and majority rules that they should end the game, that they will. Apparently, this game uh, values democracy in a very big way. Just the fact that the character 218 knows this clause implies to me that he probably knew more about what this game was going to be before he came into it than others did. A lot of the other characters seem just as hoodwinked as our main character, who thought that they were just signing up for maybe something silly and frivolous. They didn't realize they were getting into something that meant life or death. This character seems, it seems like he has a knowing glance the whole time we see him, and the fact that he's aware of this stipulation, this small rule, really shows to me that he knew what he was getting into when he came out here. Now, the fact that after number 218 brings up this fact, uh, the, the game conductors actually honor what he says, and they say, okay, let's take it to a vote. Uh, we do value democracy in that way, and they make the commitment. If you guys all decide to leave, or if a majority of you do, then you guys will be able to leave. Just the fact that they are honoring this is kind of our first clue as to what the true nature of this game is. Um, it certainly uh, is sadistic in nature, 
but there is more than meets the eye here, and we'll definitely get more into those details as we go through episode four and five. But I just think it's really cool that it's not just a sadistic, a sadistic twisted game. It's not just a saw, if you will. Uh, there is a purpose behind this, and there is intentionality behind it. So that leads us into the next scene, which is the vote. Now, this is one of the, I know this is only episode two, but this is actually one of the more powerful scenes to me uh, because there's not a lot of talking in the scene. A lot gets communicated just by characters' faces and the faces that they're making at each other. Uh, so they go in reverse order uh, and they go in that way for the vote. So our titular characters, uh, four, five, six is the first to vote. And I think that this is a really cool choice to have the entire room looking at him. He is, in a way, setting the precedent uh, for how this is going to go. And as I'm watching this, I'm honestly not sure where they're going to go. I didn't expect them to actually vote to all leave. I expected them to have a majority vote to stay. Um, of course, we do have a backdoor way of getting there eventually. But in this moment, I'm truly, you know, 50-50 what's going to happen here. Of course, our character makes the decision to leave. And then one by one, we're seeing other characters come up to the fold and making their vote. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, this is, I use that word interesting a lot, but this, it is really cool uh, to see uh, the different characters and what their motivations are when they come up to this voting system. Every, all eyes are on you when you go to vote. There's no secrets here. And uh, interesting subversion of my expectation was when uh, the bully character I had mentioned before, 101, when he goes to vote, he votes to leave. But when, our, when the character 218, the person who uh, suggested this vote in the first place, someone who to this point has been on our team, he's friends with our main character, uh, he's seen as a good guy, he votes to, to play. So they're, they're playing with the roles of these characters a little bit. They're not so black and white, uh, at least not at this point. At this point, I'm still hoping to see 101 come out as a good guy towards the end. Of course, in the next few episodes, uh, I don't think that's where his character is heading anymore. But it, it's cool to see uh, these characters don't fall so uh, black and white, at least at, at this point in the story. And getting towards the end of the vote, this is actually, I think, this is the most powerful moment. The last person to vote, 001. It's our goofy old man pal that we meet in our first episode. Uh, because he's the last one to vote, all eyes are on him. He is the tiebreaker. It's been 50-50 until this point. Um... The level of attention that's given to him at the end mirrors the amount of attention and weight that was given to our titular character when he was the first to vote. And I just saw this as, uh, you know, them kind of reflecting and mirroring off of each other. Uh, something that the show continues to do throughout the run, at least to where I've seen, which is episodes one through five and just a little bit of episode six at this point. But it, it sets up an interesting dynamic between the two of them. I'm not sure what's going on there quite yet two sides of the same coin, maybe. Uh, but I, I, I'm looking to pay closer attention to that detail moving forward. And come on, that shot with 001 standing there with the light above him and everyone staring at him, he looked almost divine in nature. I mean, I was ready to... I've Honestly, I fall in love with this old man every time he's on screen. He steals it just by looking, just being off to the side in the background, looking, uh, you know, just off into the distance, not really sure what's going on. Uh, just uh, just visually, this this actor steal the, steals the show constantly. So with the entire room's eyes on him, 001 makes the decision to uh, terminate the game for everyone to go back home safely. 
And I again, I really didn't expect this. Even as we're seeing the characters kind of come to back, they're getting plopped right back into their normal lives. They don't even have their clothes on. But I actually expected this to be some type of dream sequence. And we come to find out that, no, you're still in the game. There was no ever leaving the game. But no, the, the conductors of the game were being honest. They let them leave. Um, that's one of the first big twists uh, that the show makes. Of course, it makes... The show is built on twists. Uh, there's a twist pretty much every other scene in the show. But this one really caught me off by surprise. I, I would never have seen this one coming. So this whole episode, really, the whole rest of this episode is a big reprieve where we get to spend time with these characters. They get to go back into their lives. And you get to see basically why they would ever want to return to the game. At this point, I'm positive they're going to return to the game. It's only episode two. We've only seen one game. Um, so I, I do have the expectation... But it's really cool how in each character's backstory, they really set up the stakes that they, they really convince me that for these characters, it actually would be the best decision for them to re-enter the game and not, you know, continue what, down whatever options await for them in their regular life. Uh, I don't want to spend too, time breaking, too much time breaking down all of the individual stories here because that would take me a whole other hour in of itself. But there are a few that I want to skim through because there's some important details here that I think really are going to affect the story moving forward. So I want to start off with our main character's story in this episode. He kind of returns home and he comes to find out that his mom basically has diabetes and is in need of uh, urgent surgery uh, or else she probably will lose her legs or who knows what else in the surgery. Of course, he doesn't have any money to his name whatsoever. Um... I think that this this mother, the sick mother dynamic, creates a much better uh, motivation for this character than his relationship with his daughter did. Uh, going into the game first, the first time, his main motivation was to get money so that way he could hopefully have custody with his daughter. And as I mentioned in my first episode, thoughts, I didn't, I don't buy that for this character. I do still think that he's kind of a piece of shit when it comes to his daughter. Guys, listen. This guy is not a good dad. <laughs> he is not a good dad. And that is highlighted again later on when he goes to visit his ex-wife uh, asking for money. Um, of course, this, this is very embarrassing for him. He, it's, uh, he doesn't want to have to go to her. It's taking everything he can, but this is for his mom. Uh, she, she tells him they don't have any money to spare. Sorry, I can't help you. Uh, it's at this point that the stepfather and the daughter comes in into the frame here. And as he's leaving, it, it, it shows that he doesn't know how to be a father. Uh, I've, I've been pretty rough on him. Uh, I don't think he's a good father, but I also don't know if he knows how to be a good father. Uh, this scene also reveals kind of uh, the root of uh, the splitting that happened between uh, him and his wife, perhaps, here. Uh, he wasn't there for his daughter's birth, and maybe that was the initial accident uh, the initial problem that led to uh, a lifetime, it seems like, here, or at least uh, up to this daughter's current life, of him not really being there for his daughter. Him trying, but not, but really missing the mark in, in a big way, in my opinion. Um, the rest of the scene plays out in a very dramatic way uh, when, the, when the new husband comes out, the stepfather, and he offers him the money. And when I was watching this, I made a, an, an especial note that the compassion of this man is really is really strong for him to really offer the money just to help him out. But then the, the other shoe drops, of course, and he says, but you have to leave my family alone, really claiming uh, our main character's daughter, um, which leads our main character to punch him in the face. 
I, I do kind of think that our main character was justified here to ask that a father not have a relationship in your new stepdaughter's life, I think is totally unfair, especially when the father, while he might not be the best father in the world, he is relatively harmless. Uh, I don't think he stands to hurt or harm the daughter in any way. So asking for them not to have a relationship, I think is completely unfair and totally uncalled for. Of course, the daughter does witness this little tussle and uh, it's framed as for our main character to be totally the bad guy here. Um, I kind of hate it when a show will frame someone to look completely terrible when there just isn't enough context there for whoever is making that assumption. I know that this is heartbreaking to see for a seven, eight-year-old, however old she is. Um, but I don't know, a little bit of context there. I don't think he was necessarily the bad guy in that exact moment. The next backstory we get is, in my opinion, one of the most heartbreaking scenes that we've gotten even to this day. Um, uh, and I'm surprised that it happens around 67, our Pit Pocket character. Um, you Basically, it's revealed that her and her younger brother are refugees from North Korea. Um, and they, they're separated right now because their parents couldn't come with them. And you get all this heartbreak of, of the younger brother saying, you know, the other kids said that you abandoned me, that I'll be here forever. And he just wants to go home. It's clear that he's confused and is just looking for his family right now. Um, so yeah, I did think that that brought a lot of emotion and it was juxtaposed with this character who's, for all intents and purposes, a flat line for the most part. She is very non-reactive. Uh, she plays it close to the vest, doesn't trust anyone. But to see uh, this amount of emotion and love between her and her brother I definitely thought it was a very strong moment for the show. Now, my favorite moment uh, going into these characters' backstories here or give, going into these little moments that they had kind of in between the game was following 101 character, the, the bully as I've, I've deemed him as far as it pertains to the game. Uh, he returns to his gang uh, and he actually has what I think was a really cool, what would have been a really cool thing to watch was he wants to coordinate his gang to kind of pull up on uh, the game conductors. He wants to kind of trap them into the situation where the gang can kind of take them out. I think that would have been awesome to see. It would have been an awesome subplot to maybe even have on in the background as he continues in the game to see, like, to see his gang trying to solve what's going on. Where is his gang boss? Uh, you know, alongside with the police officer that does that later on in the season. We will get into that later, of course. Uh, I think that would have been a good choice, but that's not where they go. So basically, in the in 101's short absence, in his little break uh, from his gang, he's already been replaced. He's already been dethroned. He's lost any power that he's had out here in the real world. And to his credit, he turns into a complete savage in this moment. He is outnumbered by at least 7 to 1, and he single-handedly takes them all out. You know, we don't get to see him overpower everyone. He kind of takes them all over the bridge with him. Uh, and then, you know, he just shows up later, so we know that he came out on top in some way. But this was a really good moment to show that this guy is not to be messed with. Uh, it definitely makes him very, a lot more scary moving forward. We know what he's willing to do. And now that he doesn't have anything, he's going to return to the game a lot more ruthless, I think. So yeah, we do get a, a few more really good moments with 218, uh, the, the, the brainsy character that we know from earlier. Uh, seeing that he doesn't have anything to return to. We get a, a quick moment with uh, Ali, our character who helped our titular character in the first episode. Uh, he's shown to be very pure-hearted. He's 
just got this new family he started, but he's going to have to leave them behind. Uh, they don't really have anything to their name either. Um, what, what it really does is they're, they're just sprinkling these moments all around to show that everyone who, who went to the game to begin with because they had no other choice, now they even have less options. Each character, as they return home, has lost even more. They have no, no other option, it seems like, than to risk it all and return to this game. Uh, I really do buy that each character, that it's a reasonable decision for them to return to the game. At the beginning of the episode, I didn't think that that was something that they would be able to convince me on, but they they did it. <laughs> to the episode's credit, they did a really good job doing that. One thing I did, I, I did want to mention about this episode as well is they do introduce this character who is a police officer. Uh, he's kind of like a B-plot throughout the show moving forward, throughout every episode I've seen so far. And I think that he is a really good inclusion into the show. He offers the audience a separate point of view on the events that are going on. He's looking for his brother, who the only clue he has to go off of is his brother had the same card, the invitation card, that our main character has when he tried to report everything that's going on to the police. Uh, he's very much so like a film noir type character, or even Batman, honestly. I think that his number in this game should be 007 because he's such a badass. But yeah, I really am excited for him. I really want to see where he goes. And honestly, in the next few episodes, they, they do a great job with him. To the actor's credit, he's a man of very few words, but gets a lot accomplished. All right, episode two took a little bit longer to recap, so I'll try to pick up the pace here for episode three. Uh, but as the episode opens, uh, it shows all of our characters essentially returning to the game. We're getting different cutscenes from the point of view of each character including our new 007 character. That's what I'm going to call him. Uh, you know, he's very James Bondy. So you get to see uh, you get to see a little bit more in-depth of the process. Our point of view widens a little bit this time around because we've already visited this game once. They don't hold the cards so close to the vest as to keep us in the dark on this process now. So we get these really cool shots of all the vans lining up. You get a really some really cool looks at the scenery around where we're uh, going <clears throat> as we're going back into this game, back into this world. And it's nice that we're cutting between the, the characters that are playing the game, but we're also cutting between our police character here as he's slowly trying to infiltrate as well. And every time we're looking at him, I can't help but get that that spy noir vibe. I think he's a really cool character and he's a lot of fun whenever his scenes are on display. I really like this section of the show as well because they really start to flesh out a larger cast here. Now already we've been following about five or six characters that the show likes to give a lot of focus to, but now they start to build out the cast even more. Uh, the one character who really steals the sunshine, uh, her, she is 212. She's a new female character. To this point, we've really only gotten much focus on our one pit pocket female character. Um, but this female comes in, and she is just all guns a-blazing. She's super eccentric. Uh, she's got a lot of chaotic energy. She's very unpredictable. Uh, at times, it's clear that they want her to be the comedic relief. But then at other times, she's kind of the wild card, uh, the smoking gun that you don't know when it's going to go off. I think that she brings a lot of energy to the show and just a lot, that unpredictableness uh, just keeps you on your toes. So I really do like her inclusion. At times she's played up a little too aggressively for my taste, but overall I, I think that she does a lot to keep the show fresh. So they jump right back into things with game two. 
This game, I know for sure that I would have failed at. I am infamous for having shaky fingers, and I there's no way I would have been able to perform in this game. I would have been shot point blank almost immediately. But certainly, uh, it's a simple game, but their execution of it is really good. Uh, essentially, they're, it's a cookie-cutter game. Their goal, uh, they have to pick these shapes, and then once you've picked your shape, you go and basically try to cut that shape out of... Uh, what looks like to be a cracker type material, cookie, cracker, something like that. Uh, and basically it takes a steady hand. It's the type of thing you could easily uh, execute almost perfectly, but the smallest twitch will ruin it and then boom, you're shot. Uh, there is a really weird moment in this scene right before the game starts where 218, this is the character who has a previous relationship with our main character. Uh, they're picking the different shapes that they want to do and, our and 218 clearly seems to have an idea of what the challenge is going to be here. Because the entire time that people are picking their shapes, he, he has this knowing look on his face, this concern for, you know, what shape and who's going to pick what shape. <clears throat> when our main character picks the umbrella shape, he hesitates. He almost tells him, hey, don't go, like, pick a different room, or excuse me, pick a different shape to do. Uh, but he doesn't, and I don't quite understand why he doesn't in this situation. It seems like we're still getting something held back from this character. Even in episode 6 where I am, I don't know why he seems to hesitate in these moments. Uh, does he have some type of baggage against our main character? But that even would be confusing because we've seen him help our main character in multiple other situations too. So I, I, I'm not sure what's going on here. There, There's definitely more to come with this character. I expect towards the end of the show, uh, perhaps when there's only a few people left, he turns on our main character in a big way. I think that his character is somewhat questionable, even though we have seen moments of generosity and kindness from him, um, especially in episode two when he pays the bus fare for Ali, even though he's already in huge debt himself. So I think it's interesting they're playing with this character a lot. He's not black and white, just like 101 is not black and white even though his character pretty soon here starts to lean heavily in the black direction, but uh, we'll get into that more in just a bit. Inspiration strikes for our main character, 001, and he figures out a creative solution when his sweat drips on his cookie cake. Basically, they're determining that with a little bit of moisture, you can make the pieces that you don't want to stay break off a little quicker. Uh, this leads him to victory in the game, as well as a couple others that were probably going to fail the game as well. Um, and basically everyone who we've gotten to know here makes it through the game. Uh, this is a trend that has continued for the next few uh, games. We don't really see characters that we spend time with lose games and get killed. Um, I did expect that a little bit more, but maybe now that I'm halfway through the show, we'll start to see that a little bit more often. All in all, I will say this is the least eventful episode, but it's perhaps the most uh, important episode in doing that transition where they've left the game and all decided to come back to the game. So there is a lot of like motivation work that happens in this game, but event-wise, even death-wise, this is like the least eventful, least uh, gory, perhaps even the least scary game that we had. But I will give credit uh, the amount of tension that they build while playing this game. Everyone's meticulously doing this. We're always going against the clock in this show. And uh, that nature always builds a lot of tension and nervousness for the characters. Again, very, very comparable to Uncut Gems.
All right, let's take a look at episode four. Uh, in the first five episodes, I have to say episode four is my favorite episode. Uh, this is the one where we really start to have factions taking form here. Um, we, we, we establish our, our main group of four or five guys that are, that are going to look after each other. That's Ali, the old man, our main character, Jin Hu, and then uh, 218. Sorry, my, my memorization on these names are spotty at best, but I try to do my best to distinguish what I'm talking about here. Uh, I really do like our little squad here. I think that they're really endearing, and at least overall, their morals are very much so leaning in the positive direction. They don't seek out unnecessary violence. Uh, they don't want others to die necessarily. Uh, they only make those decisions when it means them or us, and... Uh, to this point, they've they've maintained that moral high ground for the most part. So I appreciate that we do have that kind of easy team to root for there. Uh, of course, in this episode, in the next episode, our team slowly starts to pick up a couple more members here and there that really flesh it out as well. It, it creates for some interesting dynamics because the show does give times for those characters to interact and play off of each other. On the flip side of that, we have kind of our bad team. Of course, there's everything in between, but our bad team is led by, of course, number 101, the big bully, um, and uh, his right-hand woman. I guess they're kind of like the Bonnie and Clyde of this of this little situation here. Uh, they're they they're at the top of this chaotic threat, and the other they've got their goons, and the other person they picked up is honestly, I think, the most interesting character in the show is the Doctor. Now, this character we've seen little small glimpses of. Uh, we know that he's been up to something with the game co conductors, but we're not sure what that is. And and it gets revealed slowly through this episode, and mainly throughout the fifth episode, that he's been harvesting uh, body parts of fallen members of the game um, for some of the workers of the game to kind of sell them on the side. It's their little side hustle, if you will. Uh, the, the, the actor who is playing the doctor character, I think, does the most with subtle facial acting. Um, he's balancing this situation where he's getting this advantage. He doesn't seem particularly bothered with harvesting this, these body parts. I guess that comes with the, uh, the assumed inclination that he has done this a million times in a professional setting. So it's not unnerving for him to participate in this type of, uh, gory behavior um but even even emotionally he doesn't he doesn't seem very compromised by it whatsoever i suppose there's nothing too uh, uh morally damning there happening if, if they already are dead uh that is but he it's interesting to see he uses he uses the fact that he's getting these clues to these games as a leverage and he uses it to get protection this is the episode where everyone finds himself uh looking for a team they're looking for protection I'll watch your back if you watch my back. And he very much so uh, puts himself in a position to work with the stronger people in this arena. So just as we formed our little our little teams here, it's time to eat and everyone lines up for their, their boo-fast little meals that they're getting from these conductors. And uh, there's a scene here when the bully, 101, and his uh, gaggle of goons, they kind of cut back in line to get seconds on food. And then, therefore, they made it to where there's not enough food to go around, and some people don't get their food. Uh, understandably, they're very upset, and they voice that. And uh, one one character, he's he's nameless as far as I know, uh, goes up to the bully character and is just yelling at him because, hey, that was supposed to be my food. A very, very understandable complaint to have. Um, 
the response from this, I thought that this was a very aggressive turn for, for 101. He's been an aggressive character leading up to this point, um, but to see him brutally murder this character just for talking back to him, um, I think really defined a curb for this character. Uh, this is no longer someone who it's easy to root for. He doesn't walk the the moral ambiguity line anymore. He's an outright villain at this point. And that really sets the tone moving forward because now once he kills him and the conductors of the game don't do anything, in fact, they add money to the prize pool, you know, at this point they've rewarded that behavior. Um, it wouldn't be incorrect to, to take a look at all these characters as, as lab rats you know, this is a very, um, very uh, scientific, uh, this could be looked at as a scientific uh, experiment in a lot of ways. They're being observed, they're being put through these trials. Um, and when you reward rats in a scientific experiment, the, the likelihood that they engage in that behavior is almost 100%. So they add money to the pool, it dawns on everyone that, okay, if we're allowed to just kill each other, that obviously increases my own chances of getting the prize pool. So that really changes the game from being the players versus the the game to the players versus the game versus the players, which I think is a much more engaging concept. Now everyone uh, has a reason not to trust each other. Of course, this leads into the, the big twist of the episode is at nighttime, it turns into an all-out bloodbath. This is also where I definitely need to make an amendment on some comments I made in my previous podcast about the first episode. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I said that I didn't agree with the comparison that this show is like Hunger Games and that it harkens more to like the tuning exams and other type of examinations we've seen in anime. Uh, I take it all back now. This is Hunger Games at its finest. This is Hunger Games times 10, Hunger Games plus Trials. So uh, I do take that back. That is a great comparison at this point. Now that they've taken this turn, they're all um, turning on each other in a way. But yeah, nighttime hits. The lights go out and let the purge begin. Um, we start off with 101 uh, sneaking up on uh, one of the characters who called him out for cutting back in line. And he says, you saw me, huh? And then brutally stabs her over and over again. This is not just someone who kills people to get what he wants, but this is someone who, uh, from what I can see, is relishing in that killing action. He, When he stabs, he doesn't just stab. He stabs about 10 times. Uh, a bit of overkill, if you will, for me. But again, we're seeing how dark these characters can really go. Much like the first episode, when they played that whimsical song while everyone's getting shot up while playing Red Light, Green Light, this show gives us another interesting... Uh, almost like a music video backdrop uh, to go along with the bloodbath that's happening here. Um, this is not a specific song, but it's kind of like rave music and they're flashing the lights. It's like strobe lights are going off. It feels like I'm at a dance party or a club or something like that when what's happening is, is really a hide and seek type situation to continue the game metaphor. It feels like they're playing hide and seek where the goal instead of seeking is to kill. Um, but the flashing and the strobe lights, it actually really works for me. I thought it brought a lot of energy to the scene. Uh, I had myself holding my breath the whole time. Now this all-out war comes to a head when 001 takes the high ground. And he, he basically pleads with the whole audience, please stop, I'm so scared, stop, stop. 
and everyone does. Now, this is a brief moment because it's quickly interrupted by the conductors, the red suits coming back in. Uh, but there is a moment there where 001, he is kind of the leader. Everyone's looking up to him. He's certainly the oldest one playing the game at the moment. And when he, when he makes that announcement, uh, everyone listens to him. I wonder if they'll play on him being some type of uh, the voice of reason in the future. Uh, someone we can kind of look up to for some kind of solution out of this. Uh, I hope so, because I really love the character and I want to see a lot more from him. But they're, they're, it's not the first time that they've framed him um, physically above everyone else, just in the point of view shots. And he typically, when uh, push comes to shove, he, he kind of always makes the right decision. So basically whatever 001 says, I'm going with it. Transitioning away from that battle, there's a particular a particular scene that I really liked between 101 and uh, 212. Uh, this is when they both sneak off to the bathroom together. This is when their flirting has really uh, come to a head. She has now taken to calling him babe, uh, which I actually think is really cute. Um, and basically they go and they smash in the bathroom and they actually do it twice. I got to respect their stamina, especially on they've barely eaten anything. Oh, it's that second round, I guess, that they hopped back in line for that really kept them going there. But but really, I, I hate these characters. They're annoying, obnoxious, and self-centered. But at the same time, I'm really rooting for them. Uh, there's something about it's a little bit of Joker and Harley Quinn in this moment. And she's they're both just batshit crazy and willing to hurt or do anything to anyone. Um, and I guess it's a little bit of mad love there, but it really works for me. I found myself hating and yet wanting them to uh, grow old together. Um, of course, that doesn't last very long. Uh, in the same episode, we transition to the next game, and pretty immediately, he's quick to dump her after getting uh, the, the inside tip from the doctor that this game is going to require some muscle. Um, so I was surprised how quickly he turned on her without any regret, uh, considering she did kind of warn him. Uh, he did just make a commitment with her, uh, you know, the night before that they were going to do this game together from here on out. And that if he betrays her, she will kill him. I do expect her to make good on that promise. I don't think that's something that would have came up if they're not going to pay that off later on. But I was just surprised. I think that that betrayal quote-unquote, could have happened maybe a little bit later on. I liked seeing them work together, and I thought that they made for a very scary, antagonistic duo. Um, but in this episode, because she's rejected by 101, she actually starts joining uh, the team of our titular characters, our good guys, uh, and they start framing her a lot more with them through uh, moving forward from here, at least for the next couple episodes. So I think that's interesting. I do think her character works more as a villain than she does as a good guy, but we'll see where she goes moving forward. She is still that wild card role. Um, but in this episode, in the tug of war match, uh, she's really played up for laughs. I actually really like her chemistry with our good guy team. And it's really in this tug of war challenge that the old man, uh, 001, is able to display his value in a way that we don't see uh, many other times. There's not many instances where he is really helping. He's just kind of along for the ride and, you know, happens to fall upwards as he just clumsily goes along. Um, but inspiration strikes for him, you know. Everyone's doom and gloom because they know that they've constructed this weaker team. But he tells him, you know, there's a way to win this. You just have to really think about it. 
And to their credit, the strategy that he made for succeeding in the tug of war challenge, I, I believe that that would work. Uh, the, the positioning, leaning back, tilting your head back and crisscrossing the people along the rope to really give yourself the best chance as possible. I thought that was really creative. Leading up to the tug of war match, I really couldn't think of how they were going to creatively find a way to pull that off. That being said, 001 really impressed me in that moment. And uh, of course, just when things seem uh, doom and gloom, that's when uh, 218 really steps up to the plate and everything crescendos up to a huge climax, at which point there's a huge cliff hanger. Uh, yeah, sorry to uh, hold you guys in suspense there, but I thought I'd, I'd do my own cliffhanger to stay true to form here with the episode. Uh, but the uh, episode five kicks off right where we left off on this episode in the middle of this tug of war match. How are our characters going to come out of this one on top? And it's really by the the genius of uh, two one eight the uh, the the brainy character who knew our character from before the games. Uh, he comes up with the idea to give them a few steps to let them trip over themselves and then quickly take control back. Uh, this was a great idea. Again, I didn't see this coming. They continue to surprise me in the way that they have um, solutions for these games, which if they continue to have great subversions on how they get through these games, I'm going to continue to love it. That's it. I'm having a lot of fun uh, trying to predict how they'll do it, ultimately being wrong every time and seeing how they figure it out. There is another really great moment right before uh, our team does come out on top here in this tug of war episode, and it's right uh, the person who's right on the other side of our character, our four, five, six. It's a person staring right back on him on the other side of the rope. This reminded me of the moment in episode one when there was a character who grabbed onto the feet of our main character, who was begging him, "Please, you know, don't leave without me. Help me," as if there was anything he could do. But there, there's a similar hopeless feeling uh, when, when our character just looks over just about 10 feet or however big that distance is, and they make eye contact. And on, on one man's face is pure horror, desperate attempt clinging onto life. And they're staring at each other while our character is putting as, as much energy into pulling that life away from him. You know, I just thought it was a really powerful scene, and it made me feel the same way I did in that first scene when... They make eye contact, and it's kind of an impossible situation. Um, every time they have a moment like this, it makes me think that there's going to be a twist, but there isn't a twist in those moments. It's it's just taking a second for you to really sense the gravity of what this situation would do to you mentally. And for me, it would break me. Now, from this point forward, for the rest of the episode... The plot slows down just a little bit for our players of the game and the attention starts to shift more to the conductors and the plot that's going on there with the policeman in the background. Um, but before we fully shift over there, uh, I do want to highlight this moment that happens right after the tug-of-war match. Uh, our, our character's team, our new, our new full team uh, that all participated in the tug-of-war is gathered in the elevator afterwards and... This is where we get a dialogue between some new characters that have stepped up from the background to being our tertiary characters or even our uh, secondary characters at this point. Is uh, I don't know their numbers, forgive me, um, but it's the player who is fiercely religious uh, and is really turning to God in this helpless situation. Um, and our younger character, I do believe she's the youngest character to be in the game. Um, it's another female that's introduced, and I... And I think that she's introduced to mirror 
our pit pocket character uh, are 67 in the same way that 001, the old man, mirrors our main character, Jin Hu. Um, I think that these that this character, the younger female, was put in to kind of mirror her. I'm not sure what that what all that is going to reveal yet, um, but it's clear that they're similar in some way, and they certainly have a um, a connection between the two of them. Um, but the dialogue that happens here between her and the religious character is super strong to me. I think that that conversation is a little ripped out of the current headlines and um, really encompasses what the new generation's point of view towards religion is in a cool way. But I also thought it was interesting to see how different people would react in a situation like this. I know a lot of people who might be vaguely religious that if they're met with tragedy in this way, in this level of uh, gruesomeness, basically on a daily basis, uh, their natural inclination would be to lean on their religion. Um, that I think this is a totally normal response, especially if you do have some religious beliefs. Um, this is a, a, a deeply traumatic experience for everyone that's here. So I actually do give this character a little bit of grace from where he's coming from, even though I don't really agree with him. Um, I do see that, uh, you know, what else could he really do? You know, this is if this is getting him through day by day, then sure, let him have it. Um, the dialogue between them is really interesting, though. I mean, she's really just cutting cutting through all his arguments here with her quick, uh, just sarcastic realism, really. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was a really good scene. Made me think a little. Now we get to spend a little bit more time with our film noir policeman character who is deep undercover at this point. At this point, he's almost double undercover because he's found himself uh, involved with this plot with the doctor and a couple of the other workers that have this side hustle going on where they're harvesting parts of these dead bodies. Um, so he's kind of infiltrated two teams here. I think that this this reveal is an interesting subversion as well. Um, there were times where I expected there to be workers that were kind of undercover trying to dismantle this program or gather evidence against this program or something like that. But then you come to find out that that little trail that maybe might have led to that is really just leading to the people who are harvesting the body parts here. Um, now, a lot happens in the scene. Uh, of course, someone realizes that he's not who he's supposed to be, uh, and that leads to a big uh, confrontation where... Uh, that worker actually gets killed, um, which starts raising alarms for the person who's running this whole uh, game at the moment. One thing leads to another, and our doctor character uh, also has a flip out. Uh, he takes a hostage in an act of desperation uh, to try to get uh, a type of advantage along in the game. You can see that the type of stress that he's gone through at this point has brought him to a breaking point where he's basically willing to do anything now. Um, right before a big bad comes into the frame here, we get uh, a gut-wrenching moment where the worker takes his mask off and he says, see, I'm just like you. We're, we're the same. We can, we can help each other together, which is a sentiment that has already been echoed a few times throughout the show with different characters and different situations. But what we see over and over again are these desperate pleas and these, uh, these desperate attempts to try to change people's minds and get them to work together. Uh, this this plea does work uh, in a moment. For a moment, it seems like this is going to lead to something down the road. But of course, uh, the other shoe drops again, and 
uh, our big bad, the guy with the really cool mask, <laughs> the with a lot of uh, it's I don't even know how many sides to that dice there is on his mask, but I think visually he's still really awesome. But he comes in and kills the worker point blank. Um, he does it in the name of of restoring and preserving the integrity of the game. Uh, he says a line that these people were treated unfairly. They, they're out on unequal footing out in the real world. But here they all have an equal opportunity at getting the money or at living. I thought this was super interesting. It gives a little bit more context to what I alluded to earlier in that um, this game here has a lot of... Um, a lot of nuance to it. It's not just a sadistic game, like I said earlier. Um, at least the intention behind the game and how they're presenting it here seems like they're really trying to do something more than just put people through tough situations. They're trying to create a system here where someone can win. Um, that being said, you can't ignore that <laughs> that the violence and death is unnecessary for that goal. I don't think, I don't see how, um, I don't think that that, that the meaning behind this justifies all the violence that does happen. Um, so they still have some work to do to convince me that there's any uh, merit to the game. Um, but it's, it's of course, it's always interesting getting the motivation behind our villains, right? And when they're actually, uh, when they're actually interesting motivations, it's, it's, it makes the story a lot more rich. And then there's one more big moment in, in this episode towards the end here, and it's when... Uh, our policeman character overhears our big bad or the big bad that we thought we had until this moment uh, on the phone with someone. He's receiving a call and he's saying, yes, sir. He's saying, yes, boss, the game will resume immediately. So already that tells us that this world is a lot bigger than we think it is. Uh, this isn't something that's happening on a micro level and this doesn't just stop at the, the boss's office here. I... I kind of expected something like this, but honestly, I expected it at the very end of season one. Uh, I've heard that there might be a season two, so I thought that that would be a way to tease uh, a grander plot uh, behind this. No, they are not holding back at all. They're getting right into it. So I, I really want to see how far this ladder really goes now that our, our big bad we thought was our big bad up until this point is actually just another, another clog in a machine. I really wonder what what the conductors of this game, the people in the red, even the guy with the really cool mask who seems to be at the top of our location here, what brought them into this situation? Are they previous winners of the game? Is who's behind the big mask? Who's the big bad? Could that be the brother uh, of the police officer? Um, you know, I really don't know at this point. Uh, we do get another nugget of information here that it seems that the brother that the police officer's brother is a previous winner of this game. What does that mean for that character moving forward? Because that is that is the goal of the police officer, is to find and discover this brother. So I, I do think that we are going to get a payoff for that at some point. We're going to learn about the brother. And I at this point, with all the information we have, I have to think that it's the guy behind the mask. Maybe if you win the game, you have the opportunity to conduct it yourself or conduct your own version of the game. That's just what I'm thinking for now. I'm not sure. All right, everybody. That is going to bring our discussion of the first half of Squid Game to a close. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, if there's any details I missed, I miss. am I missing stuff along the way here, guys? If there's anything I missed, let me know. Uh, I, I would appreciate feedback as always. Uh, I'm still new at this. I'm really giving it a shot, and I want to keep uh, 
bringing this content to you guys and I want to grow and make it a lot more entertaining as well. But uh, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Let me know what you think of the show so far. What do you think the show is going? If you haven't already seen it, don't give me any spoilers, please. Um, I really like this first half, first half so far. Uh, I'm definitely going to be watching the rest of it, uh, probably all tonight. I'm on the edge of my seat. They got me right where they want me, so there's definitely more to come. Thank you guys again. My name is Darius Cook. This is The Darius Show. Have a great day.